Our reading from God's Holy Word this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to pick up the reading once again as we've been doing the last several weeks in verse 25, reading all the way to the end of the chapter in verse 32, taking this this section verse by verse. We'll actually focus our attention on verse 29 today is where we'll, we'll be. Let's give attention to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Father in heaven, we thank you for this, your word. We confess we don't know where we would be without it. We would undoubtedly be listening to the wrong words and would be in this world without direction and guidance. We would be without hope and without you. We praise you that you are a speaking God. That words matter to you. And that you care for us enough to not leave us in silence. But that you guide us by this, your holy word. Would you, through the power of the Spirit now, speak through the black and white of your word, through the power of the Spirit into our hearts. For we need to know the truth of Ephesians 4.29. And we need to know spiritually its meaning and application for our lives. We humbly come before you, hushed, quiet, ready to listen. Would you let your word reign in our hearts right now for your glory and, yes, for the building up of your people? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's such a delight to be back in the Cornerstone family. I was away last week down in very hot Jackson, Mississippi. We stepped out of the car once we had made it to Jackson, and one of my children said, feels like Mississippi. Indeed, it was suffocatingly hot and humid, but 
Oh, what a joy, right, to go back to folks that you know and love and haven't seen in a long time. Some of you know I served for a number of years at First Pres in Jackson, Mississippi, and love so many of those uh, dear, dear folks, and um, many of them we've not seen in a number of a number of years. So it's such a treat to go home and to remember how the Lord has worked. Remember the times in which you sat under sermons and said it over lunch or coffee with different people who spoke to you words, true words, meaningful and significant words that still are with me. You can sense the investment of the Lord through the words of his people. I hope that you have that experience as you've been in a variety of churches, maybe over the course of your life. If you have it, we pray and trust that you'll have that experience here. We pray that Cornerstone would be a place where the word of God through the words of his people are often made known to your heart. That's really what this text is about in so many ways. This instruction of let no corrupting talk, literally word in the singular, let no corrupting word come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. That's the kind of words we want to be about as a congregation and So we look at this text together and seek to apply this verse 29 in Ephesians chapter 4. I want you you to first hear from this text these two different words. Two different words that are being defined and distinguished and, and really contrasted in verse 29. These two words, words that are corrupting, corrupting words and words that are good for building up. Those are the two words that are here in the text. And you could maybe just very simply right now, if if you've had a difficult time categorizing the two kinds of words that come out of your mouth all week long and the two kinds of words that you're receiving from people that are around you all week long, if you have a difficult time categorizing them, you can do so very simply. And were they corrupting words or were they building up words? What, what, What were they? That gives you two categories to think in as we move through verse 29 together. And so we, we really need to define and understand these two qualities of words better. Paul's going to press them into our heart. And I want to start with the, the bad news words, the corrupting words. This word is, is only used here by the Apostle Paul, interestingly. He uses the word corruption in a variety of different ways in his letters, but he never uses this specific word other than right here. The only other places we hear this word corruption actually is from the lips of Jesus, and it's only in in the Gospels, most typically in the Gospel of Matthew and almost always in the parables. And interestingly, when the word corruption is, is used in the parables and used from the lips of Jesus, it's usually with reference to a tree or, or fruit, like in Matthew chapter 7, verses 17 and 18. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but every diseased tree bears bad, or this word, corrupt fruit. 
And Matthew 12, 33, either make the tree good and its fruit will be good or make the tree bad or corrupt and its fruit will be bad, corrupt. Same word that we're using here in Ephesians 4, 29. The word corrupt literally means rotten, spoiled. That's a word that we associate with fruit, isn't it? And a word that we associate with, with trees. Some of us probably in this room have an apple or a banana right now in a bowl on our counter. And it's rotten. <laughs> it's, it's spoiled. It's going to be thrown out. Some of us, if we don't have fruit that's rotting, we have a tree in the back, backyard that's, that's rotting. When the spring showed up, it, the, the leaves didn't show up on, on this tree. And we know that there's a disease within that tree. It, it's rotten. Notice he's saying these corrupting words are rotten words. They're, they're spoiled words. Maybe if I could put it this way, it'll, it'll register. They're words that produce decay. Words that spread destruction, that tear down. These are corrupting words. Now, what does he mean by building, building up words? Well, on the flip side, the contrast to words that decay or that, that rot or are tearing down or, or being destroyed are words that are building up. Now, the word that Paul uses here is an architectural term. So he's shifting a bit of a metaphor on us. An architectural term, a term that, that, that is sometimes translated in the Scripture's by the word edify or the word edification. Now, now, maybe you haven't thought about this, but the word edification and edify is, a, is really building from, no pun intended, an architectural term. This We are in an edifice right now. Same, same idea, same, same, same concept. That we, are to be, uh, we are to speak words that are not to spread or produce decay in the lives of those who are around us, characteristic of the fall, but we are to be a people who are renewed so much in Christ and being shaped after his likeness that our words, as Paul puts it in Colossians, are seasoned with salt and with grace that they have the effect of building up, of strengthening, of, of literally architecting someone's life, giving shape to them in a constructive fashion. Now, when I was in uh, Jackson, uh, we, we drove down for uh, just a, a day uh, to Hattiesburg, uh, Mississippi. And, and while we were there, we ate at the Midtowner, because that's what you do when you're in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. And we ate there. And as we were eating there, we looked across the way, and, and you know who we saw. You, you know who we saw. We saw, uh, we saw uh, Ben Napier there. Now, some of you know Ben, and others of you don't know Ben, and, and, and we saw uh, his, his, his dear wife there as well. They are stars of HGTV's hometown, right? It is the claim to fame of my hometown, Laurel, Mississippi. You've never heard of Laurel, Mississippi until HGTV showed up and cast this show called Hometown with Ben and Aaron Napier. Now, what they do, of course, is exactly what Joanna and Chip Gaines do in Texas, except they do it in South Mississippi. And that is they go into decaying or rotting homes and they breathe new life into them. This week, I was, I was 
typing away on a, a, an email and, and at my home, Chip and Joanna Gaines were on the television. And, and Chip was walking across the floor of this old home and his foot went right through the, the floor, right? It went right, right through the floor. And then he got underneath and he found all, you know, all this, it's always terrible news about the foundation that's happening. And then he got under there and you know what he did? He put in a board and he put in a floor joist and he added some two by fours and he layered and then he stood in it and it stood still. It was strong, it was sturdy. That's what our words are to do with one another. You're to walk away from conversations with each other with a soul that's a little sturdier, it's a little stronger, that's been built up by grace. Notice the language here in verse 29, that our language would give grace to those who hear. Now maybe some of you are asking the question, do, do words really have that kind of power? Like, can, can someone really speak and it be that a soul is strengthened or restored or made sturdier by someone's language? It, it, can that really happen? It, can words uh, really destroy and tear down to such a degree that, that, it, that our souls become like a foot going through the floor of a home? Well, right now you have words that are actually lodged away in your emotional memory, don't you? Words maybe of a mother who constantly spoke disapprovingly and of which in some sense almost haunt you day in and day out. Words of a coach who got a few inches from your nose, who yelled in your face. And right now as I mention it, you can go back there and still smell his breath that have shaped you, that have influenced you. Some of those wounds have, been, have had such a decaying impact upon our souls that the real shape and form of our life has been trying to overcome those experiences of their words. I remember having a conversation with a college friend who admitted to me that he had chosen his degree. He had, he had rushed and joined a particular fraternity. He, he dressed in a particular way, always hoping that he wouldn't hear from his father that he disapproved of him, which he had heard for many years. He wanted to hear, I'm proud of you. Some of you never heard those words. And it's made all the differences in it in your life, good and bad. Words are powerful. Words are very powerful. You have conversations where you, you met with someone who spoke a word into your life that was so encouraging, so grace-filled, so truth-saturated, so perfectly timed, so tonal in its, in its, in its fittingness that, that it gave direction to, to who you wanted to be in life and decisions that you've made. It's been a kind of compass to you over the way in which you have, you've guided. It's, it's been an interpretive key through which you've interpreted the things that have happened in your life. Those moments happen through relationships wrapped in words. Words are incredibly powerful. Now, maybe you should ask yourself, why do words have such, such power? And when you begin to go to the Scriptures, you begin to understand why so much of the Scripture speaks to the nature of, of words. Because literally, the world was created by words. 
The very first thing we know about our God is that he is a speaking God. In the beginning, God did. God thought. God said. God spoke. Literally everything around you is a word. It is, it is framed and shaped by the very words of God him, himself. Even, even the struggles that we face in this life are coming on the heels of words. How did the fall happen? The fall happened through deceitful and corrupting words. Through manipulative and false words that were meant by the design of the evil one to plunge you and the whole of the world into decay. That was the goal of those words. And Paul is telling us here that we're either following, as it were, in the spirit of the words of God with the power that always builds up. God's word builds, builds things. God's word builds things. It builds up. Or we're following in the words of the serpent. There's a hiss in our words. And our words are tearing things down. You know, Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, I, I was reading that again this week. Again, obviously a, a verse that I know very well. But you know how sometimes when you're reading the word of God, you, you, you hear it? Like you really hear it. I know that you hear it, but you spiritually hear it. And, I, and there was something in me when I read, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I wanted to say, God, I hope that's not totally true. I had an interaction with someone this week, and I thought to myself, I, my mind went there as I read the verse. I thought, what is that? If that's true, then that says something about me that I don't, I don't want to acknowledge. I don't want to believe. I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather believe that there's something, there's a disjuncture between my heart and my words, but that's, that's not what Jesus says to us in Luke 6.46. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you want to know your heart? Know your words. It's the quickest way to your heart. It's the quickest way to your heart. I want you right now just to evaluate, just on the fly as we're here together, two categories of corruption and building up, but put them in this category. Words that need repenting of and words that we can rejoice in. Repent and rejoice. Go back to Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday, just pause for a minute. What conversations come to mind? What words with your spouse or your children or your coworkers or kids at camp or whatever, whatever the circumstances were that you were in this week? Can you remember any of those conversations? Begin forming. What, are the, what were the corrupting words that need to be repented of? What were the rude words? The frustrated and impatient words. What were the deceitful words? What were the gossipy words? What were the slanderous words? Corruption. And they, those words tear down. What were, the, what were the rejoicing words? What are the words you can give thanks to God that he was at work in? Where were you truthful when you were tempted to not be? Where, where, when were you kind? When did you speak with wisdom and thoughtfulness? When were you patient rather than hasty in your responses? 
Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Is death or life coming from your tongue? Now, as you do that a bit of evaluation, as, as I was doing this week, I, I found plenty to repent of. And I found a few things to rejoice at. And then I said to myself, I want to grow in rejoicing. <laughs> I, would like, I would like there would be a, a longer list on the rejoicing building upside of my, uh, of my language, my, my verbiage uh, as, I, as I communicate. What would building up life-giving words look like? What, what, what needs to be the quality of those words? We've defined them, corrupting talk and building up talk. We've looked at the power of them, where it is that they can lead us and guide us. We've evaluated our own heart. What would it look like to be trained now a little bit in building up words? How can we get there from, from here? And I want to give you three qualities, maybe four. Number one, truth. Building up words are true words. Now, why do I say that? Well, I say that because Paul says that. In, back in verse 25, right? How did he begin this whole section? Therefore, having put away falsehood, let the one of you speak truth with his neighbor. He's already talked about speaking truth earlier in this text. In fact, it frames the whole of this, this section, this putting off and putting on section that we're looking at here. And the first thing we need to say to ourselves is that building up words are true words. Now that seems like, well, of course, you're in a Presbyterian, conservative Presbyterian church that loves the Bible. Of course, we're going to say they're true words. But no, let's think about this in relationship. When you think about building someone up, what do you often think about? You think about saying all kinds of nice things about them or all kinds of encouraging things about them, don't you? And isn't it sometimes true that you approach that encouragement more like a pep rally than a truth-sharing event and means that you often fall into flattery rather than truth? where you say things that you don't necessarily really mean, but you want to make them feel good. You want to build them up. You want to give them confidence. You want to encourage them. And so you take leave of truth to do so. Flattery is a slippery thing. We can actually start off well in the encouragements and then sort of slip in. To it. Sometimes you may have a friend that always says things like this to you. Oh, you can do it. You've got what it takes. It's not going to be that bad. And they encourage you and all of these sort of things. And maybe you don't have what it takes. Maybe it's going to be terrible. Like that could be the truth. And you know, if you're setting them up, that you're building them up. You're encouraging them. You know what you're doing? No, here's what you're doing. You're setting them up for a fall. Those are corrupting words. Flattery is a subversive way to corrupt. It's putting someone on a kind of pedestal of which they must necessarily fall from. We've got to speak the truth. Building up includes the truth at its most fundamental level. You will never, 
edify. You'll never build the edifice, the strength of that soul with a lie. Even if the lie is happy and encouraging and, and full of positive words, we are a people who have put away falsehood. We must speak the truth to one another. Now, notice the language of the text. This is the second piece of building up words. Notice how the text says that we've got to look for words, good words used for building up as what? What's the language? As fits the occasion. That's the way Paul says it here. As fits the occasion. This is the second piece of building up words. Not only do they need to be true, they need to be wise. They need, to be, they need to be wise, as fits the occasion. Now, interestingly, in the Greek, the, the, the point is right. The point in the ESV's translation here is absolutely right, that not every word, not even every truthful word, needs to be spoken at every occasion. We'll talk about that a little more in a second. But the word there for occasion, kind of translate occasion, is actually the word need. Now, I, I draw that out because of the previous verse. If you look at verse 28, notice, let the thief, you looked at this last week, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Well, the same point is here. It literally could read, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the need. As fits the need. In other words, it's not the occasion as in, um, I need to take in the perfectness of the environment and the context of the people. I need to be sure I'm holding my jaw right, perfect, and get all fearful about doing it right and correct. It's literally, listen for and look for the ministry of the person in their need before you and speak towards it. Speak to the needs. Speak to the needs that are there. I, I framed it this way for my own help this week. What Paul is saying is we need the right word, true, spoken at the right time in the right way. That's what we're looking for. We need wisdom to do that. You remember earlier I said how certain truths don't need to be spoken at certain times. You're like, I figured that out the hard way right? Hey, think of this, a person burdened with cares and needing help comes into your, your pathway this week, and you say to them, you know, we live in a fallen world. And you're right, it's true. And you say to them, you know, the fallen world is hard. It's absolutely true. And the burden that you're you're facing it is heavy. That's absolutely true based upon the Word of God. And you say to them, Galatians 6.5 says that everyone should carry their own burden. And you think to yourself, That's a, it's a grand experiment of missing the point. Now, is that, is that untrue? No, it's, it's unwise. It misses... The ministry misses the need. Now, here, here's someone who is lazy, uh, will not work, won't provide for their family ably enough, um, and they're squandering their time. And then they complain to you about, well, just how hard life is and how things are not working out for them and that there's just nothing out there that they can do. It may be that that person needs to hear, brother, sister, you need to carry your own load. 
the need. The spiritual, the soulish need drives the wisdom of what kind of building up needs to happen. There needs to be wisdom. There's got to be truth. There's got to be, there's got to be wisdom. And, and, and in that wisdom, we've got to have the right word. We've got to have it at the, at the right way, said in the right way, identifying the right ministry. We've got to say it at the right time. I am prone to have very important conversations at the wrong time. You know, that's at 11.30 at night with Christy, right? This is the time, honey, where we need to hash through things right now, you know? This is not the time to hash through things. However, when my teenage daughter comes home at 11.30, it might be the time to talk because I've identified the time. It's different when you're 16 and when you're not 16. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> right? Wisdom. It takes wisdom to speak in a building up a, a manner. It's not a one size fits all. It's not a one circumstance and it, a cookie cutter uh, approach. We've got to be, we've got to be wise. As fits the need, he says. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken at the right time. Time, Proverbs 25.11. Not only do we need truth, not only do we need wisdom, but you know we also need, and we've got to have this, at the foundation of it all, we've got to have love. We've got to have love. You know, in order to speak the truth in a way that fits the need of the person, we actually have to love the person. Yeah, see, that's where it gets troubling, doesn't it? You actually have to love the person. You have to love the truth. You have to love the person. Dr. Paul Long was a professor at the Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. In his office, behind his desk, he had that you know, very famous saying, people do not care what you say until they see that you care, right? Love is the overarching aim of building up words. Uh, no, notice the goal here of verse 29, that it might give grace to those who hear. That's what you, that's what you desire. You want, you want grace, the love of God. What is grace? It's the love of God for them, working in and through them. It's the power of the gospel. When we looked at verse 25 and we said, having put away all falsehoods, speak the truth with one another, we said that truth there is not just truth in a kind of abstract sense. It's the gospel message brought into bear in a context where it adequately and rightly applies to this circumstance. Where it applies to this circumstance. Each week as we're working through a message here at Cornerstone, that's one of the things that's rattling around in my head. And when we're in counseling meetings, right, that's one of the things that's rattling around in my head. Or in discipleship meetings, that's one of the things that's rattling around in my head. How does Christ and the gospel relate specifically to this circumstance? How can the truth and the grace of God intersect here? Now, why would I believe that in building up words, we've got to have at the heart love and, and grace foundationally? Because that is the central word of all of human existence. All of human existence is held together by the word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the enduring word. It is the redemptive word. It is the recreative word. It is the word that's rebuilding the world. If we're going to build up one another, how are we going to do that without the world, without the word that's building up the world? How are we going to do that? 
We've got to have at the center love and grace, that it might give grace to those who hear. This is what building up words would look like. They would have truth in them. They would have a wisdom about what to say, when to say it, how to say it. They would have love for the person at its core and at its, at its basis. But I, I love the language of verse 29. I guess I'll throw in number four. That it might give grace to those who hear. Do, do, do you catch the contingency there? The, the like you're not in control of it thing? That your words might be taken different ways, misunderstood. That your words, no matter how perfectly they might be made, no matter the timing would be impeccable, the tone and the facial expressions of the way you conducted yourself could not have been more holy and righteous. You were as pure as the driven snow. No, you weren't, but you thought you were in the midst of it. No matter how great you thought you were in it all, it's up to the grace of God to do the work. You see, the fourth quality of building up words is, well, it's humility. There's a, there's, a, there's a sense, isn't there? When you desire, whether it's to a child or to a loved one, to, a, to, to someone suffering in the midst of the body of Christ, to, to, to someone whose life is spiraling out of control in our community, and, and you know that they need to hear the gospel, and you've you're speaking to them. You're praying for them. You're trying to find every bridge that you know within the limited scope of your wisdom. And at the end of the day, what do you feel in the midst of that? But for the grace of God. But for the grace of God. Some desperation, don't you? That's good. That's a good sign. Because that's exactly right. The, the, the wisdom of building up words, its love and its grace must ultimately rest with the work of the Holy Spirit who alone is the opener and changer of hearts, who alone is the building up of the church of God. These four qualities, if you would meditate a little bit on them this week and you evaluate your own speech, might they, well, that, might they make you slower to speak and quicker to listen? <laughs> Might you have a, sh a little longer fuse? Uh, my, my, might you take time to, to be sure in, why, in wisdom that you're speaking in a manner that really meets the need? It's not just something you want to say. Not just something you think needs to be accomplished, but really meets the need. That you're listening not just to the content, but to the heart. You're paying attention to the soul. Might it slow us down to be those who speak with building up words? Now, if you're a little bit like me, I felt this coming through this sermon. Hmm, I have a lot of work to do. And it can be somewhat defeating, can it? Like, oh, man, after going through all of that, who, who, who is fit for these things, <laughs> right? Who is, who is fit for these things? Some of you are like, I've got to have, like, real negotiations with my boss this week over a contract. Who is fit for these things? And I have to model Christian character, and I've got to walk in the likeness of Jesus in doing so. And I'm having to do that in a, in a world that doesn't honor him. How do, I, how, do I, how do I do that? Who is fit for these things? Well, that sense of desperation should lead you right back to the Lord Jesus Christ, you see. 
You are not fit for these things. That's the point. You get it, right? This is ultimately why Jesus came, to equip you for the things that he's called you to do. We're not asking you in your wisdom and genius to be able to come up with this perfectly suited, full of love and wisdom and grace and truth-telling script that you're going to walk through without blemish this next week. That's That's a recipe for failure. You've got to be led, well, to the foundation of this text, that it might give grace to those who hear, that it might give grace to those who speak. You see, one of the wonderful parts of this text is the same word that Paul uses in verse 29 for word, which it doesn't come across directly. It says, let no corrupting talk. It's literally word. Let no corrupting word come out of your mouth. Well, it's it's the word logos, right? It's the same same word that's used of of Jesus in John chapter 1. That Jesus is the logos. He is the word made flesh. That in the beginning there was the Word. What do we know about our God? He's a speaking God. What what do we know about that speaking God? He came to earth in the form of a man. His name is Jesus. That the Logos came. The Word made flesh came. And why did He come? He came to meet a need. He came as fits the occasion. To put it in the language of the text. What was the occasion? Your and my corruption. Our decay. Our death. Our corrupting words. Our sin. He came to meet a need. What did he do in coming to meet that need? He came to build us up. He came to rebuild us. What are we? We're the church of the living God. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, built on the rock that is Christ, who is our cornerstone, and the apostles and the prophets who are the foundation stones. He's come to sturdy us. He's come to to strengthen us. He's come to make us an edifice, a dwelling place for the living God. And he's paid the penalty for all of our Corrupting words, all of the ways that we've fallen short, all of those repentance categories we went through earlier, all of those. And here's what you don't know, is that even in that rejoicing category, there's plenty to repent of there too. And he paid for that too. He paid for that too. In all of that, the the, the beauty is that that Holy One, the psalmist tells us, came and he died for our corruption, but he himself did not see corruption. That's what Psalm 16 tells us. That the Holy One of God, even Christ Himself, He did not see corruption. We wield corruption all of the time. He did not see corruption, but what happened? He resurrected from the grave. And what's He doing right now? He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, and you know what He's doing He's speaking words on your behalf. He's interceding for you. He's praying for you. He's laid claim to you. He's defining you. He's given you His righteousness, His identity. He's looking upon you. And all of His righteousness is yours. The beauty of this Christ is who we rest in. 
As we learn to speak building up words, we go in His strength that He has already covered all of our weakness, all of our corrupting words. We go in His strength to realize that He has made us new and He is rebuilding us brick by brick, floor joists by two by four. He's rebuilding us in His glorious image until we are built up and the only words that we speak will be building up words for all eternity. Friends, this is the church you want to grow into, isn't it? Isn't this the person you want to grow into? By God's grace, through the power of Jesus and the wisdom and the instruction of His Word, we might be those people with the hope that one day nothing can keep the Lord from getting us there that we will indeed be those people. And with every reason, let's push towards that goal day by day here. Let's pray to that end. Lord in heaven, would you strengthen us with this challenging, convicting, and yes, comforting word of speak no corrupting talk, but only that which is good for building up. Please give grace in our words. And lead us to the fountain of grace, the Word made flesh, even Jesus Himself. As we together look to Him, even now speaking on our behalf, interceding for us. Lord, do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.